0: The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Father, we do thank you that you are Lord of heaven and earth, that you rule and you reign and that we are your children and that you love us. And so I pray now that there would be some help that you would give these Folks, here through the words that I speak tonight, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and that there would be honor that's given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet there would be practical help that would be given to us as we ponder some really significant things that affect most of our lives. And so we just ask for your help now, that your spirit would come as we gather, as we reflect, as we discuss together. That you would bring your grace and that you would give us your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, for those of you that don't know, I am my name's Stephen, and I'm joined by my wife, Stephanie, back there. And we have been married for about 15 years, and we have five kids that are, I, I don't, that their, their ages escape me. It's, <laughs> it's kind of birthday season. So it's four, six, uh, 8, 9, and 11. So, and they all start shifting. Um, but I know that there's kind of a diversity of people here. So I'm going to kind of do something that hopefully isn't embarrassing for anybody here. But who is dating currently in this group? So a few. Yep. Um, and then who is engaged? <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? And hopefully I didn't out anyone, like, in terms of, like, are we dating, are we not? Um, And I'm assuming the rest are single, so you you don't have to raise your hands. Um, At the outset, I'm just going to mention, this is not a sermon. This is not, like, I'm not going to be exegeting scriptural texts on how the Bible talks about dating, because then I would mainly talk about uh, Ruth and Boaz, like, fall asleep at a man's feet, and all the complexities related to that, or... Uh, arranged marriages with distant cousins, like Isaac and Rebecca, or the terrible example of Jacob marrying sisters, right? Leah and Rachel. So you're not gonna get a sermon on singleness. There's lots of books, there's lots of uh, good sermon series where people do exegete all the passages of scripture about singleness and dating, so you're not gonna get that here. Um, and if you are looking for like a specific resource, I've not read it, but I'm probably I'm going to recommend it because it was written by a good friend of mine who went through seminary with me, Marshall Siegel. He wrote a book on singleness and dating, I believe. I don't even know the name of it, but he's (laughs) a good friend of mine. I probably should get a copy and read it, Um, but I I trust him. So, uh, if you want a book, I would just recommend that. So, this is not a "Thus saith the Lord" kind of thing like we would do on Sunday, where I would be opening the Word and with the authority of the scriptures behind me, I, I would say this is what God says about this. This is mostly going to be, this is what Stephen kind of has a few thoughts on. Um, yeah. And it, it was maybe three months ago that Daniel asked me and about two months ago that I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, I want to share 10 things with them. And I kind of wrote them down. And then it's been a busy week this last week, um, as you can imagine. And so I have those 10 of things and we're kind of just dialogue about them and then we can kind of discuss them afterwards. So these are kind of, opening prefatory comments um, I was married at 23 years old so it has been a number of years since I have been single and it's been a number of years since I've gone on a date uh, at least with anyone other than my wife so um, it, it's just to kind of highlight I, I have no knowledge or expertise of dating apps and and all of that that was kind of before my time um, but at the same time you know I know things have changed and and yet I'm not been married, you know, a year or 18 months where I'm still trying to figure things out. So, hopefully, there's some wisdom, some experience that comes through. And I'm not of the generation of your parents quite yet, so there's still some relevance. Um, <laughs> hopefully, um, we got married two years out of college and we met in college. Didn't start dating until our senior year. And if you, I can tell more about that story later if there's any desire, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, I think singleness and dating is one of the most important topics we could potentially consider. And the reason for that is because it's so interconnected with your personal discipleship and following Jesus, and it's probably the second most significant decision you could make in your life. I would say the first is following Jesus, and then marriage, singleness, dating, all of those things kind of combined is just massive. It's I think it's the most significant decision outside of following Jesus that you'll make. And most of us will make it in these next 5, 10, 15 years or so, right? Uh, or nine days. Um, and so <laughs> it, it, it's really uh, a really significant thing. And so I would say, you know, some people would say we talk about it way too much. And others would say we never talk about it at all. And, you know, w- wherever you land, we're talking about it tonight. So um, what else? What else? My wife mentioned to me that uh, we have a 12-year-old daughter who's, you know, in I don't know, five, six, seven, maybe 10 years will eventually start dating. And so these are thoughts that I would probably share with her. And if you guys give me feedback, you know, at the end during the Q and A, that all of this is terrible. Hopefully, it'll get better by the time she gets to, you know, 18 or 22 or 16 or whatever it is. So. Um, and, and and I would say the other part is just, you know, we have such high hopes for this group and, and you all in particular, because we really do believe that you are the, the future of the church, and there's just a lot of confusion going on in our world, in our culture, and we really want you all to be deeply rooted in Jesus, in the scriptures, in understanding the Bible and what the Bible says about these things, but then also moving toward God honoring, biblically faithful marriages, Lord willing, for some of us, and, and and a life of contented singleness, if that's what God is calling us to. So we really do, when I say we, I would say the pastoral staff uh, really do love all of you guys and just have really such desire for this group. And so we're so glad that you guys are all together meeting and Daniel's leading this. So the title of this talk is Ten Rules for Singleness and Dating. And um If any of you have ever read Jordan Peterson or at least are familiar with him, he has like 12 rules for life. Uh, You don't have to have any familiar with that. I'm kind of biting off his title. Um, And I'm just giving 10 rules for singleness and dating. When I say 10 rules, it doesn't mean if you follow these rules, you'll somehow go from singleness to dating to married Um, or that you'll for sure get married or that marriage will be easy or if you can figure out whether you're called to singleness or not, uh, we probably won't even talk about that. But I would just say these are 10 kind of off the top of my head reflections that I think are really important as we think about singleness and dating. The second thing I'm going to note here is that this talk is for believers. And so I'm assuming that most of us here are following Jesus, that we're believers. But my guess is there's a handful of us that may be just visiting, a friend invited you. So if you're not following Jesus, some of these things may not make all the sense that uh, you may not understand all the a thought process behind it, and if that's you, I would love to talk with you further about what it means to follow Jesus. Our hope for you is less so about singleness or dating or marriage, but really about following Jesus and discovering what that means, because I would say that's the greatest decision (coughs) you can make, and I would say Daniel would be a great person to talk with and someone who would be willing to read the Bible with you. So um, I I would say, maybe I'll ask this question. How many of us, uh, if you feel comfortable raising your hand, and if you don't, that's okay, have divorce in our sort of family or extended family that affects us. So probably maybe a third of us, maybe a fourth. Um, and so we, we just know from statistics and from personal experience that marriage is difficult. And so there's no easy button. Um, dating isn't easy, marriage isn't easy. So I'm not gonna talk about these things in sort of like 10 rules and then you can kind of figure it out. But really these are, These are complex things that a 45 minute or however long this is gonna go, just can't figure out. But I'm kinda trying to at least highlight a few things. Um, And then maybe the last or second to last thing I'm gonna say on that is, um, there is no shame uh, when we're talking about these things. I think sometimes it can feel a little bit like, uh, I don't know, it can feel awkward, like talking about singleness and dating. And I I personally don't think there should be any Um, because it's just such an important topic. I remember being in college with my roommates. I lived with three other guys, or two other guys, and almost regularly, probably once a week, we'd get together and we'd pray, Uh, just have like a little apartment prayer meeting. We went to a secular school, but we were all believers. And one of the things we'd always pray for is like, I want a wife. Uh, And so we would (laughs) pray for a future wife. And, you know, I think your parents, if you have believing parents, they're probably praying for you and your future spouse. And so... Just the fact that we're talking about these things, that you can talk about them in your small groups or with your friends, its just there's just really no shame in wanting to be married, if that's where you're at, or being very content being single, or just talking about these things. I think this is a big deal. It's worth considering, it's worth praying about, and worth discussing with with others. So, and then lastly, if you have questions that you're burning to ask, you could potentially raise your hand and interrupt me. Um, but then it'll probably end up on the recording, um, or you can wait till the end, so we'll kind of see how that goes. So, ready for the first rule? All right. The first rule um, is be content with your current season of singleness, or dating, or being engaged, or married. So, be content with your current season that the Lord has placed you in, and so... I think contentedness is one of those really significant things that's just so easy to kind of get away from. So when you're single, you're, you're wishing that you were dating. When you're dating, you're wishing maybe like, oh, I wish I was single again. This is so difficult. Or or maybe you're wishing, like, I wish we were married. And then maybe when you're married, you're like, man, singleness looks really fun now, you know, in light of that. Because sometimes that can be difficult. And so I think it's just really helpful to just recognize that the Lord has you in various seasons. And I'm mainly thinking about those who are single. Don't pine to be in a relationship uh, in such a way that you're discontent or somehow angry at God or getting frustrated at God with the season of life that he's placed you in. Um, and, And I think this is a season where you can just do a lot of different things and try different things. And so Paul writes in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, many of you are familiar with this. Um, He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be in content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul's talking about kind of contentedness in the midst of poverty and abundance and prosperity. And yet, I think the same applies in terms of whatever station of life that the Lord has put us in, that we cultivate contentness. And so, I just want to encourage us because it's so easy to just look at others and to wish, kind of, I wish I was at that particular place or season of life. And I think one of the things that God is doing in you is just growing you in holiness, sanctifying you so that you would become more like Him. And I think. A large part of that is teaching you to be content with this particular season of life, and, and I think this has sort of the added benefit of it's just much more attractive to others. Like if you don't encounter someone who's so desperate uh, to either be married or to be dating or sort of you know just that, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, right? Uh, that but rather someone who's just content with what the Lord is doing and seeking Him. And very often, we used to talk about when we talk about dating is, you know, run hard after the Lord and then turn next to and look to who's next to you, right? Who's running hard after the Lord. And those are the types of people you want to kind of pursue or get to know and and consider um, pursuing towards potentially a relationship. So, first rule be content with this current season. The second rule do not believe the lie that you have a soulmate. Um, And I think in, in this group, probably with this theological orientation that this is less of an issue. But I think this is such a pervasive and common lie in our culture that there must be that one person out there. And so we often just wrestle with, like, are they the one? Like, is this the one? And like, the reality is, any of you can marry any other person that is of the opposite sex who's a believer. Like. There's just so much freedom. And, you know, the choices can be a little bit paralyzing sometimes. But, like, you have the ability to marry, like, I was going to say a lot of people, but that's not true. You should marry (laughs) one. Uh, You don't want to marry more than one. But you can pretty much marry anyone. Um, But I would also encourage, don't just marry anyone, right? Like, that's the whole point of being in the context of Christian community, learning about yourself, learning about others. So don't believe the lie that you have a soulmate. In theory, you can marry any godly believer. Um, But I would say you should find someone you're compatible with. There's a family here at the North Campus. uh, They're from uh, South Asia, so India. And if you ever get to know them, I won't say their names just because I didn't get their permission, but they have an arranged marriage. And so I remember talking with them at dinner, and I was like, so tell me what's that what what's that like and so she said you know you your parents kind of reach out to their relatives and extended family and friends and then you know they say oh you know i know a guy and and then you get like an hour like this is crazy but you get an hour to decide if you want to marry him so like he took a train up from some other city it took him like six or eight hours came up and they had like a lunch and like they had some time to talk alone and then some time to talk with her parents and I think she had two hours so like double the time and like at that point she had to decide like do I want to pursue this towards marriage like an arranged marriage or uh, you know do I not And, and you know they have a kid who just went off to the U of M so they've been married at least you know 18, 20 years or so. And they have a a fabulous marriage. So that's just to illustrate, like in our culture, we make a really big deal about dating. And I'm not suggesting that any of us do arranged marriage. I don't think it would go well. I wouldn't want to do that for my kids. Um, But I just think it just breaks that um, lie of there being kind of one singular soulmate. And I think what that does for those of us who are single is just frees us from anxiety and overthinking it and putting too much pressure on yourself or on others, Uh, you know? And and I think the the opposite thing that can happen sometimes is, you know, sometimes I'll go into like Target or Walmart and I'll buy jam. And if you've ever been down the jam aisle, it's like every single different type, you know? uh, Fruit preserves, jelly, jam, organic, cane sugar, Uh, you know, and then all the different flavors. And and sometimes you could lead to kind of paralysis. Um, And and you kind of get bogged down in the what-ifs. And and I think the reality is, it's just good to remember, if there is no soulmate, you're not looking for kind of one elusive person, but you can sort of, you know, marry anyone at one level. And, And the reality is that you're going to be a sinner who's going to marry a sinner, And whoever you choose to date and eventually marry, it's just going to take work. And and so I think that just kind of removes a lot of the angst and frustration that can sometimes come with that. So, So that's rule two. Don't believe the lie of a soulmate. Rule number three. Spend time with the opposite sex to learn about yourself and others. I almost was tempted to come up and begin the talk by saying, everyone should shift their seats, and we should all sit like guy, girl, and do that uh, icebreaker again, you know, with someone you don't know. And my wife said, don't do speed dating after the talk. You know, guys get into circles and things like that. So, but, but I do think like dating or courting or whatever you call it, like it's just not rocket science, right, like you're just meeting someone, getting to know them, and seeing if you're gonna be compatible. And, and if you want to spend the rest of your life together, which is a big commitment, yes, you should take it seriously, um, but it's just not rocket science, and so each culture does it differently, and, and so I would just say, in this season of life, just feel the freedom to spend time with others of the opposite sex, and, and I think some of it is just lowering some of the heightened tension that comes around this. Like, if you ask the girl out on a date, it's like, you're not committing yourself, you're not tattooing her name to your you know, arm or anywhere else on your body. It's just a date, and like, it's okay if you're not attracted to him. You can say, yes, we'll grab pizza. You know, so I just think it's good to spend time with the opposite sex, if you're single, during the season, to learn about yourself and others. And when I say learn about yourself, I think the process of dating and hanging out with people of the opposite sex, it just reveals a lot about yourself. I'm going to talk about selfishness later, but I think it reveals a lot of your own selfishness. Like, all of you come from quirky families. I know some of your parents. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 like, I come from a quirky family. But you don't realize, that like, your quirkiness until you, like, step into another family. And you're like, oh, like, that's how <laughs> they do things there. And, like, we never did things that way in our family. Like, but, and, and you'll come across certain things. You'll say, like, I could never do it that way. Or you'll just say, like, I don't like that. And that's okay. Like, that's just part of who you are and and how you've grown up. And there's other things you'll say, oh, I love that family or or how they do that or the way that they were brought up. And so I think you, you actually begin to learn about yourself. In what areas are you prone to be selfish? Because I think many of us are selfish. I think actually as you get older um, and are single for longer, selfishness kind of takes root in a greater way. And so that's not to kind of make you feel depressed if you're like 28 or 29 or 30, you know, but I just think it's just harder as opposed to if you're younger or you're still being in some of your formative stages of kind of figuring things out. Um, I think it's really important, like, to learn about what kind of emotional baggage are you carrying around? Um, and, and I don't treat this lightly because I know that for some of us, it's kind of deep-rooted uh, trauma in our past, perhaps even abuse. And, and so I don't want to take that flippantly, but I think... It's important for you to learn and to recognize and realize, like, what kind of things am I bringing in to a potential relationship? Because that's going to really affect uh, whatever relationship I step into. For Especially for gals, what kind of relationship did I have with my dad? Or for guys, what kind of relationship did I have with my mom? Um, it's just going to affect you. We're all products of our families. And so I just think dating is a really helpful way um, Spending time with the opposite sex is a really helpful way to begin to understand your own emotional baggage. Um, And when I say baggage, I don't mean it in a derogatory way. I just mean it as we all have different things that we bring to relationships, with thoughts. Um, This would be a good time to cite an example, but I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, well, I can't use her, um, so I'll use me. Um, I think... You know, um, growing up, uh, very often in college, like, I'll be very transparent for a moment. uh, That's being podcasted. Oh, well. Um, (laughs) You know, I think some guys do this. Not every guy. But it was like, oh, like, I would see, this is in college when I'm single. So I'd see, like, an attractive guy and be like, oh, like, she could be interesting. Like, uh, and, and, like, have her mentally in my mind of, like, I could potentially get to know her more and like she's attractive to me and then there'd be another gal and I'd be like, oh, she seems also attractive. Like I could be interested in her and, and I think some guys do this um, and maybe some gals do this as well but like I realized I needed to sort of become the type of guy who's ready to be a one woman man, right? Like rather than to continue to see like options, like I really wanted to at some point get to a place where I was ready for a committed relationship but I knew like my sophomore year, like I was not ready for that in, in college. And I remember because we were spending a lot of time together. We were, we were the same major, so we took all our classes together because we went to the same church, because we went to the same college fellowship. So like we spent almost lo- a lot of time together, where all our friends were like, you guys are dating. We're like, we're not dating. And, and, <laughs> and so uh, we had a DTR, a Define the Relationship, where we like sat down and said, hey, we're spending a lot of time together. All our friends think we're dating. I'm not ready to date, so I think we should stop spending so much time together. And she was like, "Okay." And so then we stopped spending so much time together. Um, and, but like that was just sort of the self-recognition to say, "I, I just wasn't mature enough to be um, a one-woman man," in, in my mind at least. Because, and not that you know, in the secular, sinful way of like, "Oh, sowing your wild oats" kind of thing, but just. I just wasn't ready to, to be in that level of relationship. And I think some of us are there and, and that's okay. It's just you need to recognize where you're at um, in some of those things. So spend time with the opposite sex to learn about yourself and with others. So how am I doing on time? Daniel said we end at 8.30 and we're through rule three. So <laughs> we're gonna go faster. Um, you know, with rule three, Uh, I said learn about others. So, like, learn about um, what type of extended family does that person have? Um, You know, we don't often think about this. Like, we think, oh, an attractive person. I like them. But once you get married, you get all of them and their crazy family. And, like, a crazy family is a really big deal, uh, especially if they come from a broken family. You just have to be ready. Like, okay, every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every Easter, like. We're going to be dealing. Or they have a blended family, or they're an only child. That that kind of changes them a different way. Maybe they're from another country. You know, like there's just cultural things. Like we might be taking care of their parents at some point when they get older. It's just so you just should take all of that into consideration when um, when when you're spending time with others. And and I think it's just helpful to learn about them. Um, I, I think it's also you know for some. Uh, You know, some of you are maybe in grad school, you're thinking like, oh, I want someday to be a missionary or a pastor or a doctor or a nurse practitioner or to get a PhD and become a researcher. And so those are just really significant life decisions that just affect uh, what dating and marriage look like. Um, And you want to make sure that you find someone who's going to be compatible with you in pursuing some of those different things for for guys and girls. So... um, you know, at one point Stephanie and I, when we were dating, I wanted to be a missionary um, or I knew I was kind of moving towards ministry and like we talked and I wasn't sure if she was ready and so we ended up like breaking up for six months. Kind of a long story, I won't give you the whole uh, thing, but it it was really with this sense of like we have to make sure that we're going to be ready and and able to kind of move forward And, and I think, you know, for whatever season of life you're in, some of you are like, I want to stay in Minnesota for the rest of my life. Like, never do I want to leave. And some of you are like, I can't wait to travel the world, you know? And so you should just begin thinking through all those different considerations. So I'm going to keep going. Rule four, uh, when confronted with your selfishness, seek to change. Um, So dating and marriage reveals that we're selfish people. And, you know, there's a whole book that I read during my premarital counseling that was called Sacred Marriage, and his whole premise was Um, marriage is going to reveal that you're selfish. Uh, So see it as God's work of sanctification. And so uh, I I just think that's important for us to keep in view uh, because you will get confronted with your selfishness in dating and um, engagement and marriage. Um, and, And I think it's just helpful to um, you know that there's some things that's normal to think about yourself right like so you dress yourself you brush your teeth you feed yourself you do all the basic things for yourself but then there's also things that we kind of historically call selfishness where we show too much concern for ourselves so it becomes vanity like we care about how we look uh too much materialism you buy too much stuff for yourself or just kind of general selfishness you don't think about others and so uh, You know, being selfish makes for a bad spouse and a bad parent. And so I would just say, see this season, both in singleness, learning to be content, but then also in potentially stepping into dating relationships, to see this as God's work of sanctification in your life, whether or not you get married to this person or not. Let whatever, you know, let that relationship help you to grow in Christlikeness. And if that's your main goal, then that's gonna really serve you, whether that relationship pans out to, you know, result or climax in marriage or not, um, but seek to grow in Christ likeness. So, rule four when you're confronted with your selfishness, seek to change. Rule five view marriage as a gift for you, but not ultimately about you. So, yeah, you know, I'm guessing most of you are familiar uh, with Ephesians 5 that. Marriage is this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And so that's part of why it exists. Like, it's given to us as a gift, and it is a tremendous gift. Um, even non-Christians get to receive the gift of marriage, and, and it's good. It's not good for men to be alone. It's good for men and women individually to be married and, and to procreate and have children and be fruitful and to multiply. And so it's a gift from God, and yet it's also not mainly just about your satisfaction your dreams your hopes but it's really designed by God so that it would point us to him and and so there's just a constant work of sanctification and growing in godliness and working at marriage and so I think there's just a tension there to view marriage as a gift but it's not ultimately about you and I think that just puts it within perspective that you know when we were planning our wedding, it was like, it's all about us. You know, this whole day is all about us. And and it's just a good reminder. Like, no, it's mainly about what God is doing and and his beautiful gift and design. And yet at the same time, it is a gift for you to enjoy. And it's a wonderful gift that you get to partake of. Um, If any of you have ever read Tim Keller's book on marriage, marriage. I don't have his quote perfect, but it's basically marriage is such an amazing thing that you can be fully known by someone and fully loved, right? Like only Jesus really does that at the end of the day, that he knows all of them. Like to top to bottom, every wicked thing, every wicked thought, every evil uh, desire, every kind of distorted thing that your friends would kind of recoil and be like, oh, you think that or you do that. And yet God sees all of it and he says, "I love you. You're my beloved." And 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 marriage begins to picture that in, in this really stunning way. And I'm going to use a very embarrassing example to kind of illustrate this. So, um, what's the most embarrassing thing that could happen when you're dating on a first date? Park. What'd you say? Party. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. It's passing <laughs> gas with. Uh, it's passing gas in the presence of you know, the person you're going on a date with. Like, I think that's probably the most, like, mortifying kind of thing that could potentially happen, you know, and it's funny because we all do it, and and yet once you get married, it takes you a little while to get used to it, but you can pass gas in front of your spouse, and <laughs> and it doesn't feel awkward anymore because you do it in front of your parents and your siblings, and, and it you know, it's kind of a, a silly illustration, but... It's just the beauty of, like, you can be fully known and fully loved. And so marriage is indeed a beautiful gift, and and we don't want to denigrate the gift of marriage. I think broadly our culture does that, which is like, oh, well, just, just cohabitate, just live together, don't get married. That's such an outdated notion. And, and I would say, no, this is a gift from God that he's given to us to enjoy, and yet we want to enjoy it in the way that he's created it and given it to us, and, and it is a stunning gift, and, and yet... It's not ultimately about us. It is about reflecting Christ and the church. Rule six, learn to recognize your baggage and bring it before the Lord. We kind of talked about this a little bit already, um, but maybe I'll just dive a little bit deeper. I think um, you know, for some of us, it's mental health. Some of us, it's a dysfunctional family. Some of us, it's our sexual history. Some of us, it's our anxiety and depression. Um, For some of us, it's kind of sexual promiscuity or pornography. And I would just say now is the time, whether you're single or dating or engaged, make sure you're dealing with those things. And I would say ideally, you would address those things, begin addressing those things prior to dating and marriage, if at all possible. Um, So whether that's getting counseling, sharing with a trusted friend and mentor, Obviously stop engaging in that sinful behavior, stop looking at pornography, get accountability software, get an accountability partner, friends, address it. Bring it before the Lord knowing that there's lavish grace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in forgiveness. And so you don't wanna walk into something uh, in a deficit or, or feeling shame and guilt and, and having never confessed it because if you walk into a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, Uh, it it will be, it's going to rear its ugly head at some point. And, you know, I wouldn't say that's something you bring up on the first date, but it's something you bring up at some point, Um, probably before you get engaged, but, you know, kind of within that window of like before engagement, but not on your first or second or third date. And so I would just say those are things you want to begin working on um, now. And especially, you know, in, in just our day and age, like a lot of us, you might be taking antidepressants. You might have... Just family history that you need to kind of work through, and I would just say now is the time to begin addressing that. Not purely for the sake of marriage, but just it's just good to continue to grow in that. And and I think it's really recognizing some of those things and letting the Lord do a redemptive work in those things, so that it doesn't come as a surprise or something that you're dealing with for the first time when you're in the midst of a dating relationship. So that's rule six: learn to deal with your baggage. Recognize your bag and you bring it before the Lord. Uh, and you know, I, I will also say, it doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out. Um, you know, lust is common to men and women. I know pornography is a growing thing with both men and women, and and the temptation of lust is something you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. Um, and so it's not that you need to obtain a certain level of perfection, but you do need to be moving towards sanctification and growth rather than hiding. So bringing it into the light and walking with others in Christian community. Um, and so I would just say it's, it's just good to begin doing that work in your small groups, uh, you know, finding resources. There's a counseling team here. Um, you know, just begin, sharpening one another as brothers and sisters and growing in these ways. And and I'll even just go to the realm of, you know, you may be uh, tempted to have weird, not weird, um, just uh, to buy into sort of the lies of culture or maybe it's in same-sex desire or just sort of the broad confusion <coughs> that's taking place within our culture. And those are good things to begin seeking help with and talking about and engaging uh, with one another. So rule seven Do not be unequally yoked. So this comes straight out of the Bible. So this would be a thus saith the Lord. Don't marry an unbeliever. And I think, you know, most Christians say, well, I would never do that until it's like, oh, but this unbeliever is just really attractive and really into me. And so I would just (coughs) say, make sure you have those convictions, you know, firm and real. Um, and, And so marry a Christian, and I would say preferably someone of the same maturity level as you that's seeking to go in the same direction. Um, I would say more than just not even marrying an unbeliever, I would say you want to marry someone who's at a similar level of spiritual maturity as you. So, um, you know, you just don't want to marry someone who's just entirely spiritually immature, because that that is gonna be what you're left with, you know, if you do end up marrying them. I remember being in a small group with a couple, um, not here at this church, and so I'm gonna talk about them. Um, they were probably married for about 30 plus years when we met them, they were in our small group, and um, they got married, and he wanted to be a missionary, I think he had just gotten an MDiv, um, they went on their honeymoon, and then, um, she turned around and said to him, I think on their honeymoon, I think I made the biggest mistake of my life. I wish I wasn't married to you. And it was like, Ooh, that's not a good way to start your honeymoon. Um, so it was cut short. They came back and they sort of coexisted for the next 30 years, raised a bunch of kids, um, and, and just really challenging. And I don't think it was necessarily a spiritual maturity issue, but it, certainly there was issues at work there, um. And it was really sweet just to see God's redemptive work through our small group over the next, you know, two, three years where we were in community together. He worked kind of out of the state, so he would fly every Monday, come back every Friday afternoon, and then they would sort of uh, endure one another for the weekend, and then he would leave again. Um, and and it was just really sad to see, um, and um, it was maybe... Two years into their small group, into our small group, the, the wife wrote an email to the, the small group and basically said, uh, you know, just through the love of the small group, like, we feel like we're regaining a level of tenderness. So we're going to go recreate that honeymoon trip and go out to, I think it was the Grand Canyon or Yosemite and kind of, you know, uh, the husband, he's going to burn a CD of all the songs we would have listened to 30 years ago on that trip. And and so, it was a sweet sort of redemptive story in that, but I would just say, if at all you can avoid having that type of redemptive story, you should seek to do that, which is, you know, once you make the marriage vows, you, you know, yeah, at least as a believer, I would say there are very few reasons to pursue a divorce, and if I was doing your premarital counseling, I would say you should never uh, consider divorce going into a marriage. Um, And yet we do know that it just happens more often than it should. And so um, I would just say don't be unequally yoked. That means more than just not marrying an unbeliever, but marrying someone that you really can love and respect and that is at a similar maturity level. So that's rule number seven. Rule number eight, don't date too long or be engaged too long, burning with passion. I I think I said this in a sermon not too long ago, like that you shouldn't be engaged too long. We were engaged for a year. That was too long. Um, and so I would just say for, this is actually less of an issue in the Midwest because you guys get married kind of young. Uh, I would say like when we were in Wheaton, I was, I was a pastor in Wheaton, Illinois, and I think the refrain at Wheaton College was uh, ring by spring, you know, like of your senior year. Maybe it's also at Northwestern and Bethel. How many of you guys have friends, like close friends that got married by their senior year? Just out of curiosity. So a good number of you. Um, so I think it's less of an issue in the Midwest, but on the West Coast and on the East Coast, most people don't get married until after they're 30 probably and after they've gotten a master's degree or a PhD and bought a house. And I just think um, there's just a lot of common sense wisdom in getting married when you're both in your kind of physical I even hesitate to say this, but I think in some ways sexual prime, where you can where are of childbearing age for both men and women, um, and then also if just like doing life together and growing together. And so I just think um, it, it's not to sort of like say, you know, if you're 28 or 29, like hurry up. It's not to say that, but I just think uh, don't date too long if, if you know it's not going to work. Um, so I think it's helpful if you're going on a third date and you're like, I don't really think this is going to work. You know, it, we all know, you know breakups are hard, but like, it's just good to sort of be upfront and clear if you don't believe that this is going to be uh, a fruitful use of time and energy. Um, and, and I do think you know, if you're in a serious dating relationship and it's going on for you know, two years, three years, it's just that you open your up, yourself up to a lot more temptation towards you know, premarital sex, intimacy, and and it's just very natural, right, as you're uh, attracted to one another to pursue greater physical intimacy. And I would just say, at, at that point, really decide, you know, is this gonna be viable to move towards marriage, and then to either pursue that or to break it off. Um, so that's rule A, don't burn too long, or don't date too long, and be engaged too long, burning with passion. Rule nine don't awaken sexual intimacy but receive it as a gift um so sexual intimacy is an amazing and powerful and remarkable thing um and so you know that's why sex sells in terms of commercials and fast food to shampoo to pornography is a multi probably billion dollar industry Um, but it's also incredibly powerful in its ability to be destructive and so the songs of solomon Often says, "Don't awaken love before its time." Right? It's kind of a repeated frame throughout Songs of Solomon, and that basically means um, don't pursue sexual intimacy. Um, So, don't awaken it. I I would say within the context of a dating relationship, as best as you can. But once you get married, receive it as a gift. And so, um, you know, I'm not gonna. You can ask the question, I guess, in the Q and A. But like, I'm not gonna talk about like, well, what how far can we go, right, what's the line, and, and, you know, that's just the wrong question to be asking, how can we honor God with our bodies, knowing that if we're dating and attracted to one another, that we can ultimately, when we get married, receive sexual intimacy as a gift, because it is a gift, and it's an incredible gift, and yet don't awaken it while in um, the season as you're pursuing whether or not you want to move in that direction, and so, you know, and I I recognize it just varies. Like for some of us, like you're very comfortable holding hands or kissing prior to, you know, that. But I just would say, you know, as you move further in, um, it it just becomes more and more difficult to sort of, you know, stop. And and so, um, you know, our sex drive doesn't drive all that we do, but it is given to us by God to move us towards marriage. And so, you know, People sometimes get bent out of shape when we talk about this. Like, we have sex drives. Uh, for some of us, they're very strong. Probably for most of us. And so, uh, and, and you want sort of a physical outlet for that. And so that is a healthy, God-given thing to many of us, all of us, um, so that we would indeed pursue marriage and and dating. And so. Um, So there's just a tension at work there, right? That God gives us these really strong desires and there's all the disordered ways to express it like premarital sex, uh, pornography, masturbation, uh, sexual activity outside of marriage. And yet it is given to us by God's good design and it's not dirty or shameful or yucky, but rather we have bodies that have been given to us by God so that they can be expressed in the context of marriage. And so I just think those are kind of two different... Um, dynamics to just hold intention. tension, um, you know, that as you do have a strong drive for someone of the opposite sexes to move you towards marriage, but that shouldn't be the only reason you pursue marriage. Uh, you know, we talked about all the other things, and yet it is part of the way in which God has created us. And so um, I just think it's good to kind of hold those things in view and in mind, and even as we maybe feel strong desires, Um, You know, to be able to pray, like, Lord, help me to control these, to show self-control, grow in sanctification, and yet allow these desires to push me towards being really intentional in praying for a spouse and pursuing uh, a potential marriage partner and and so on and so forth. So, um, and it's also helpful to mention, you know, Jesus was the most perfect man that ever existed on the face of the earth, and he's God incarnate, and he was never married, never had sex. And he's the most remarkable man that ever lived. So um, if you do remain single, if you're called to singleness, if you, um, if God is giving you, um, you know, if that's the station that he puts you in, uh, you're not missing out, ultimately. Um, heaven is going to be greater and, and Jesus will be more than sufficient for you. Um, rule 10, become the type of person you want to marry. Um, and you know a lot of this is just common sense, but be type become the type of person that you would be excited about. You know, at least in in my view now, I'm thinking about like that. I would be excited about having my daughter marry like that type of person. Like, what kind of people do we want to raise up? And so, what kind of person do you want to be? Like, would you be happy to be married? It sounds weird to yourself. You know, to a, per, a person like yourself, right? Um, And so begin developing those qualities, you know, where we can often look at like, well, how much does that person make? How attractive are they? You know, pursue sort of the deathbed qualities. It's the things that people remember at your funeral. Like, were they loyal? Were they honorable? Were they sacrificing? Were they godly? Were they full of integrity? Were they Christ-like? Did they have warmth? Were they kind to others? And did they have a strong faith in God? So I'm gonna end with this story that, uh, every time I hear him talk, um, I, I'm not going to play the the video of him. You can find it on YouTube, but it's um, it kind of gets me misty-eyed. Uh, it's about a story. It was a story in 2004 of Robert McQuilkin. Has anyone ever heard of his name? Anyone know what I'm talking about? I, don't know, of course. <laughs> um, no. Uh, do you know the story? I'm not. I'm not recalling it. i just know You know his name, okay? Um, so Robert McQuilkin, He was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. Um, So important, he had served as a missionary with his wife in Japan for 12 years, came back was a professor, and was sort of in his prime serving as the president. And his wife, Muriel, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so as part of his resignation uh, of resigning from his post as president, he basically uh, wrote uh, some words, or he, he spoke these, and all of his associates were like, you can figure out something, right? Like get a caretaker, put her in uh, assisted care living. Um, But he just recounted that every time he was around, she was almost happy. But anytime he was gone, she was fearful. And with Alzheimer's, I think she was, uh, her mental state was degenerating to such a point where she was probably like like a child to some degree. And so she would be fearful and angry And he's just like, I just got to stay home with her. And so he says, when the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before, quote, in sickness and in health till death do us part. This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned. However, it was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. And so he cared for her until she passed away, um, and then he passed away, I think, in 2016. But every time I hear that story, every time I hear his voice, you can kind of hear the recording. It kind of makes me all choked up, and, and it makes me feel like oh, I want to be that kind of guy who's willing to walk away from everything else to hold to the vows that I made on July 15th, 2006, to say, till death do us part. And, and so... I would just say become those types of people now so that it's not tested then, but begin cultivating that level of character. And, and you know, whatever the Lord does, whether marriage or not, um, it's going to be worth doing that level of work, which is developing Christ likeness that would honor God. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way, without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem Church/Young Adults.